Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Um, I'm going to use the same argument that I've been using in the past, I don't know, few months, I guess. Um, I guess it's an argument that I use all the time, but it's, the weather's really nice, so I'm hanging out outside more than, um, more than being inside when I was during the winter. And I'm also, I was also traveling, I went to Rome, and uh, I think next week the episode, well, I'm going to be um, having some time, so I'll put out, uh, put out an episode about that trip to Rome, but, yeah, uh, sorry that I've been lapsing on my, <laughs> um, responsibility to put out episodes, but that's the situation, and, uh, the, the traveling is not stopping, I think, next, uh, next month, um, in May, I'm thinking to travel around Poland, I haven't actually traveled that much around Poland, I've gone to um, Krakow for a day, and just a couple hours in um, apparently a very boring city called Katowice, um, that was just for a layover on a bus back from Vienna, and I had a good time, it was during the Christmas market, and I could walk around and see the lights at night, and that was good. Um, so, but next week, it's some sort of, like, Polish holiday, so I think I'll have, I hope I'll have enough time to put out an episode recapping my trip to Rome, but, yeah, uh, this week's episode, um, is with, um, my friend Fabio, and he's writing his thesis on artificial intelligence, uh, among other things, and the, um, the effects this can have on society, very, very big picture stuff, futuristic stuff, and it terrified me. So um, let's just jump right into this week's episode with Fabio Hanel. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Funbook Diplomacy Podcast. I'm here today with Fabio Hanel. Welcome. Hi. Hi. You, you had promised just now <laughs> that you were going to explain, a, like, tell a story about your name. How about the last we start with that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're actually sitting in, in, in Silesia in Poland, and this, this was also part of Prussia a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, this name is popular more here than anywhere else in Germany. And uh, it's a short, like a diminutive from Johannes, which is like John in English. Right. And then they shorten it to like shouted like Hanel, if you like your Hanel. Oh, like a like a sort of nickname. Sort yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so is your family originally from the Silesian area? Uh, we're not sure yet. My my is my dad's side, and um, the traces like are kind of lost in the forties. And uh, but we are he's coming over like in two months, and we're trying. There's like a village in the mountains where maybe there's some documents to find. Wait, so what for for him like? Like his grandfather was yeah. like moved a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, there's uh, maybe his grand, his dad or his grandfather. They worked on the Polish-Czech border doing customs. Oh, okay. Like around ninety hundred years ago, um, but we're not sure. <laughs> so we're gonna go out there and and see see what's there. Yeah, that's that, that, that's always fascinating because have you you know uh, Andy like yeah. his his uh, family. He did meet with family members. Who would, really? They've been separated for however long, but he just recently did visit. Um, yeah. And they don't speak, uh, well, they, they, they spoke uh, English to each other, but mm-hmm. that's crazy. Like yeah. this, I guess, 70 years of separation yeah. Yeah. Uh, since the war. Uh, that's that's crazy. But uh, yeah. do you want to um, introduce yourself real quick to the podcast audience? Sure. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Fabio. I'm almost 27, turning in 10 days. Um, I'm from a small town called Freiburg in the very, very, very southwest of Germany. And I studied global studies in my master's. I and before did American studies in Leipzig, Germany. And now I spent the winter in Shanghai in China. And now I'm here in Poland with you. And uh, that's it. Cool. And you're actually, I think, one of the... I don't know if anyone else has asked to be on the podcast before, but you like came to me, <laughs> and I'm very flattered. It's really cool. Um, and you wanted to discuss, uh, I guess it's your thesis, or is it just your area of 
Both. What is it? With? Both that you yeah. wanted to. So uh, you want to explain that real quick as well? Sure. So I am. Um, I, I actually I came like I started studying kind of from a cultural perspective, so American literature and uh, history of arts and stuff, and then gradually I I realized that art is is more close to my heart and less uh, less I don't want to occupy my brain so much with discussing art. So I came from culture to like history and then to politics and then to contemporary American politics a couple of years ago and did my thesis on cybersecurity and Edward Snowden and the NSA revelations. And kind of from that, it evolved into thinking about what is technology doing to to our societies like nowadays and in the, far, in the near future and how, how rules or norms get changed a lot like in a very short amount of time because tech is so rapidly evolving. Um, thinking about surveillance or, or um, security of data or big data in general. And, and now since two years I'm doing, I'm looking to artificial intelligence as kind of an incubator of a future that is in my mind, like about to happen. It's kind of like just across behind the horizon. Um, but I think AI will break into our lives. So it's already like coming into our lives and will change uh, societal structures, at least in the, in the Western or industrialized world dramatically in our lifetimes. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm researching. And uh, my interest as a political scientist, scientist is, um, what is AI doing to geopolitics uh, as a tool for civilizational use, like for civil use, or also, for example, as a weapon or kind of a, a leverage in discussing power between nation states or, or different agents? And what is it that you've so far um, found some mm. examples? So the easiest way to, to kind of compare AI to a vocabulary that we know is to compare it to nuclear power. So for example, if you think back, if you put yourself into the mind of a nuclear scientist in the 40s, early 40s, it was the world war, so that's a crazy time, but also it was uh, a, a time of great discoveries in, in physics. And um, like in the beginning of the 40s, 1940s, a lot of scientists who were researching, for example, to split atoms into... Uh, two parts and like finding out what, what Einstein actually meant in, in, in reality if we would carry out in a lab. They were saying like we, we can never control this technology. It's too it's too crazy, too powerful for the human mind to control, uh, to split an atom, for example, and to control that explosion. And uh, only a couple of years later, we had the first nuclear reactor powering a power plant and also the nuclear weapon which um, plays a tremendous role since ever since. And in my, in my finding in researching in AI, or actually only like reading mostly people who do better research, um, it feels like AI could be as much kind of as a, a stepping stone in, in like getting from one level of civilizational standards to another level, which is then powered by AI systems, both you can like applications like medical healthcare or logistics, transportations, energy, uh, or weapons, for example. And I feel nowadays we are in the positions like these physicists to say like, wow, this is really crazy and we don't have the, the capacity to think about it actually, or let alone like control it technologically. But um, with the speed of development, I think it's just a matter of time when we get to that threshold and are able to control it, or maybe the machines will pass our ability to be controlled, kind of. So is it something that you think needs to be, uh, we need to put brakes on it? Or you said it's like going to happen anyway, but um, yeah. before it happens, do you think that it's something that should be halted, or uh, it's just, you, you, we just cannot possibly stop its course? Yeah. Um, so I, I think to hold it would be uh, a bad choice, or at least, I mean, to, to attempt to hold it would be a bad choice because for um, the reasons that if you think about technology as something that 
evolved over the span of human lifetime or even before like in 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 tribal cultures or nature uh in general um there was never really a point in like trying to stop technology from progressing uh so my my approach would be more like we can see that this tech will is developing and is also already developed by leading corporations or nation states right now and um to say like okay we have to like jump on this train and like for example from a policy perspective like a from a political perspective or thinking about implications on society and security and peace uh we have to like get in in bed with these developers who do it to only develop the tech and say like okay you also have to think about ethics or um political philosophy or uh, think about what your development in technology actually has implications for real people and uh so so i think instead of casting a blind eye and saying like oh this is like a niche or sci-fi crazy stuff um it's more it's more about like acknowledging that it's around the corner and if we don't participate now in the development in in talking about it like in public and and with scientists um then only those people who develop it for like whatever gains will will win from it and not us and what's what's new more recently in the developments of ai um so it, it what's in general interesting and also compares to the nuclear age is that most people who are actually working in this field either computer scientists who develop this stuff like from the software or robotics but also people who think about the policy side or the societal side all of them if you would ask them like 10 5 or 10 years ago how how quick would you deem for example google has like a um a really powerful software that is combating like like championing all the traditional complex board games or games humans ever invented like right. like the chinese go game right. or like traditional chess a long mm -hmm. time ago uh or also computer games like starcraft um which are incredibly complex and difficult um for computers to play and 10 years ago everybody of these scientists would say like okay like until the software would be able to defeat the most skilled human player on earth in all of these games we are like that would be 2020 2030 uh and that already happened now so Google has a. That was a couple of years ago, right? That Go was yeah, defeated. Yeah, uh, human, human player. So, Google has a company. They bought a company called DeepMind, which is based in London. And is, is that the the one that can the image one? Is that yeah, the, yeah. They, they do a lot of stuff. Um, they do image recognition. Um, so, for example, teaching a computer to go through the web and like this side if this image has a cat inside or a dog on the basis level and and that software gets developed for example and now is used like in in autonomous cars or cars in general who like try to assess what's on the road and stuff mm -hmm. uh and also they they did a software called AlphaGo which was designed to defeat go players in this particular game and what they came out like only now like couple of weeks ago is alpha next which is kind of like um a generalization of this particular software which was only designed to play against go players and alpha next has now um they designed it to basically you can feed the software any kind of game you want um if you put like either a board game into a digital format or like you just use a computer game in general and this software is able to learn anything to play anything by basically playing itself against itself uh, a million a billion times and then it turns out they are now successfully like feeding the software with any particular game in in the world and it's going to be the best in like only a matter of time and it's champions this particular game so if you can imagine our world as like a game and then you feed this somehow into yeah. then it's it will successfully play What does it mean to be successful? Then is is the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, play this question. game. Yeah. yeah. So, if you if if you would feel, I mean, the whole world that we know it, like as a matrix, kind of to feed it into this machine or software, that's probably difficult to to write down first. Right. First. <laughs> oh yeah, because you have to you have to you have to somehow make this into like it, yeah. zeros and ones and give it to 
So uh, at least now. I mean, possibly if 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 the software had eyes, for example, or like sensors to right to like see what what's happening or analyze it, and so it could like feed this Observe to itself. itself the, uh, that information. would be that would be crazy. Oh. But yeah, but in general, basically, if you think about international politics, you could just—I mean—you could just put on all the variables of all the governments and, 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 and nations and societies and leaders and conflicts. And uh, but what does that really mean to have all the variables of international politics? I mean, we don't have it now, do we? No, I mean it's yeah. it's kind of like an infinite amount of variables yes. because it's like a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you take a a complex problem like the Middle East crisis or the North Korean problem, or maybe go domestic and and look at U.S. healthcare system, what's going on, what's going wrong, or how could you propose like a policy fix? Uh, in theory, if a machine is able to like master a game better than the most skilled players. It could also basically master like the complexity of politics if you are if you want a specific goal from this, like for example to fix healthcare. Which so you, you have crazy. like given this, then what? And it's sort of you you're having it as like an oracle kind of. Mm, y- I mean, an oracle would be, I don't know, like where the oracles take their information, like the resolutions. No, but like the, the idea is that you, you um, there's somehow they get information and you will trust whatever this, right. uh, this right. uh, result is, is what I mean. Yeah. In, in theory, um, in computer theory, a machine can only be right because it follows logic. Uh, if the result is wrong, then that doesn't mean that a computer did wrong, but because of the logic framework is wrong, then it's built on. Right. Uh, which, of course, is difficult to assess if, if it's really like a radical, like a real-life involving outcome. But in, in theory, a computer which is powerful enough to do this stuff would all, all, always, in my, in my opinion, be in the better position to judge. Uh, what's good and what's bad, like from the outcome perspective, what ethics and morals they kind of like side fire into this equilibrium, and that's that's where it gets really difficult. Yeah, and and how now is AI becoming or it's become part of the political landscape? Um, yeah, so domestically and internationally, yeah. as that's that's what you mm-hmm. that's what your uh, thesis is about, right? Yeah. Um, what you mean, like as a topic, as a discussion topic, or yeah, like what you're you were saying okay. that your your thesis was about, or so, what you're writing about, researching. I'm I'm trying to write um, my thesis about the question if if AI is kind of is a factor that could, for example, evoke an arms race, or also in general like a technology development race. It could be it's in the private sector between corporations which are big players now, um, like Google, Uber, um, Microsoft, and Amazon uh, on the American side or on the Western side. And then in in China, it's Baidu and and Tencent and Alibaba. And um, if they are competing, like, to get ahead of mastering this tech from the patent side, so, like, to control certain... um, like knots or stepping stones in, 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 in reaching powerful AI um, to then dominate this market um, on the one side. And on the one other side is, is, is if AI is, for example, used by national governments also as, or not maybe not used yet, but seen as something they need to heavily invest in uh, for strategic purposes to, for example, stay ahead of the race to create more autonomous drones or weapons or to also better control um, the cyberspace when it's coming about information domination. So to, for example, be able to penetrate uh, foreign systems more easily or being in general on the on the top of that technology tree. And so it spans all of the security, not just the military purpose, but yeah. even because... I mean, imagine all the, um, the, the, 
data flying around the, by the government is is all digitized, and you need to secure yeah. that that system, and it's under threat. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's generally safe to say that probably it's either if you have a a really a, a big multinational corporation, or you have a relatively wealthy and and cutting edge government that these agents will secure their data frameworks very, very well, or at least you hope for, maybe. Um, but it's also about if you, for example, think about what we're talking now, but between Russia and the US, like between hacking or state hacking or state-sponsored hacking, um, that mostly actually the hacking part from that's like sponsored by one government is not necessarily trying to get into the files of this other government but for example to control like the the easier users in that in that country like the, the users the end users in that nation to influence policy decisions or even elections nowadays and the more powerful those hacking tools get the more influence you can have like far away from your state borders as well yeah what kind of stuff uh, what kind of um, information do we have so far about because there's always this news about russian hacking in the american election and what do yeah. we have now as it uh, pertains to... Is um, there? Does it pertain to AI yet, or is it just um, uh, using data um, with people? A little bit. Um, so in this in this case now about Cambridge Analytica, this um, advising company, consulting company, that is um, selling election hacking, basically, to put it a little bit like a plant. Mm-hmm. Um what they do, they still have to collect real data from, for example, Facebook or other user data databases. Um, but then they are able to, from because they mostly employ computer scientists to do this stuff, and then they create algorithms how this data is then disseminated and put into profiles, um, which is a step involving AI. And the more powerful this AI gets, the more data it can um, salvage in, in, in the same amount of time um, to create even bigger and bigger profiles to get more and more outreach. But I think there's still a lot of like handiwork involved, for example, to get them um, like user-targeted advertising out to those people and those users. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of an area or like kind of a, like a, a example of the time where we're living in where you see AI like being more and more involved in, in certain uh, aspects of our lifestyles but then there's still like a lot of it's more hybrid at the moment yeah. yeah like think about Uber for example which uh, pioneered like car sharing taxi services but you still have human drivers right so in theory those are expendable and then eventually, even like now, they have the self-driving cars, and that's just exactly. it's like steps going yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. And and how does AI? Uh, how how is it part of military matters these days? Because um, uh, yeah. I took a course on um, not, not drone warfare, and also um, what was it? How was it called at the time? Like uh, like. Robots are like machines making decisions on their own in in, right. in the mili- in military right. affairs. Um, that was in 2012, so mm-hmm. six years ago. What's mm-hmm. what's different now? Because at that time, I w- I remember seeing already, um, uh, like what was it? The Pentagon had videos of these little robot drones that were they had. It was a swarming capability mm-hmm. that you have like a, like a little slit, and they would were able to organize themselves to get yeah. through it and then redeploy in yeah. formation. Yeah. Uh, that was 2012. I don't really know what's new. It's, yeah. it's, it's changing so fast. It is. Do, do you remember um, who sponsored that tech, if it was actually developed by the Pentagon or um, contracted? I don't know. I, I'm okay. not sure because yeah, the, the Pentagon, they have their own... What was it? What, what's their research? What's like the defense? DARPA, I think. DARPA, yeah. And then Incutel is the CIA. Yeah. Is, yeah. Get those names mixed up sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There is now an AI ARPA, which is uh, specifically yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a talk um, with someone um, sitting sitting around Berkeley uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and I asked him uh, 
mostly for my research, like I wanted to look into spending numbers uh, between private and public sector, or at least like private and defense department sectors. And he said like the most people he's involved with is actually private companies. Um, and traditionally, like the tech comes out of Silicon Valley for more civil use, actually. But obviously, Boeing and Lockheed and, and all those arms manufacturers, they are very much aware of this development and they're trying to for example try this in different settings and drones is a is a very practical example like you say swarming was cool six years ago and now it's actually I mean, it, they they can control um or put tech into a very small piece of of, of robotics or of hardware which is like a very small drone like the size of a fist um and let it like talk to each other and kind of target like carry out an, ex an assignment autonomously. Um, but you obviously still set up the assignment um, and give it like the playground to 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 do this basically in a lab environment. Like to say like okay, we built like this box of of um, obstacles to to maneuver through. And and the idea now, or the goal is now to actually allow the software also to assess in real time what's around itself. Without um, giving an assignment. Without giving, I mean, the assignment would be more wake, for example, which connects to what we talked about profiling before. If you would say we deploy like a X amount of small drones from a plane, from plane across a battle zone and every combatant with um, this and that feature on its uniform or like even even um, facial features from one specific um, ethnicity or region, um, those are automatically supposed to be targets. And then the software is like flying around and actually locating these people um, or other objectives. And then the final question is if you allow the machine to then assess the target and also assess um, to go ahead with the, for example, killing mission or any other mission. So to reduce the human interference in, in, in the operation itself. And yeah, that's being developed for sure. That's being developed in, in the US and in China and um, probably in other places as well. It seems like it's all coming, all the technologies that we see that are <coughs> not quite related, they're all coming to this point mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. Uh, that someone's trying to use to threaten, um, yeah. threaten the rest of us, I guess, because I don't know, I don't know how to make drones or anything. But sure, but it, and you're saying that what was this um, part of? It's a separate part of DARPA, or it's under DARPA that is specifically for AI? No, it's a it's a separate, uh, separate. Into, like a research institute or whatever. Um, I'm sure they have collaborations, and they also contracting out to the big corporations like. There came out a letter, an open letter from all the Google employees two days ago, um, asking their CEO to to cancel a project that is actually describing to um, use Google information about AI tech to help the Defense Department to manufacture. So it's the employees of Google. Google yeah, they disagreeing saying, with this. They were saying, "Listen, in your kind of." Corporate philosophy. It says, "Don't do evil." And uh, it did say that. It did say that. It did yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now, and, and now they're they're asking him to to cancel this project. And cynical observers say that it's ridiculous to think that Google would so far not be involved in defense projects, which they are in, in different kind of in in various kind of ways. Um. Yeah, but that's just one side of it. I mean, that's a that side that you have to think about in AI. But AI is also, you can see it as um, as much as it's kind of an amplifier in in minimizing and, and, and the cost of warfare and the complexity of warfare to having like autonomous weapons that are not involving humans. And uh, they are very scary and they can basically be used to also assassinate any... Uh, targets on on Earth, basically, or for example, an infrastructure structure. But it's also an amplifier for a lot of civil technologies, which are really 
um, which thinking about enhancing, for example, diagnosis, diagnosis techniques in medical healthcare is right. is insane. Like if you think about um, how much we evolve from in cancer research or in, in combating um, epidemics um, or at least just like giving out vaccinations to to people who are not able to get vaccinations by themselves and and if AI is possible is, is able to for example have a better analyzing skills and the most skilled medical researchers in in understanding microbiological stuff that goes on in, in disease um, cultures or in fighting diseases or in, in inventing new pharmacies, pharmaceuticals, then that's really cool um, because we can maybe live free from cancer in a world where AI takes over in medical research. It's like the bright side. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot I'm of imagining this machine that, um, have you seen Prometheus? There's this yeah. like, machine where that like helps her deliver this alien baby. Or is it? It's an alien baby? I don't know. It's like she like goes into it and it like does the whole um, the whole process of delivering of yeah, the, doing yeah, a C section, yeah, yeah. which was really stressful because I was high as fuck in the theater. <laughs> but uh, it was that I was like, wow, maybe one day and that that day might not be that far away. Yeah. And as as far as a sort of this capsule is that I don't know if like people will will develop this after seeing this movie like the, the people with the, the the brains like develop this into a real thing where you just sort of like chill in this capsule and it like scans you down and see yeah. what's a, what's like a invasive thing or whatever I, I think it's safe to say like from all I mean that's also interesting thinking about science fiction literature or, or films how that like uh, comes together with yeah it. yeah and a lot of I mean a lot of stuff that was written in the 60s uh, about the age we're living in now is bogus. Like we're, we're not living in, in, in crazy orbital space stations or habitats on Mars or whatever. Not yet. Um, but a lot of things also came true. Like some people envisioned a smartphone in the sixties and some people, um, had other ideas about transportation, about, um, social media as well. And it came true. So, uh, who knows? I think it's safe to say that for all the possible futures we are going to live in, um, probably all of those futures hold some form of weird realization of, of technology or or like an artifact that is only like really, that seems like now really bizarre and, and mind-blowing. And when we reach that future, um, maybe it's already like being normalized in the process. Yeah, that's, that's very... Um... That's the thing about now is like potentially I would say for as like a personal opinion it's never been better. It's yeah. like everything is just so convenient. Like just yesterday I did laundry and I was like I'm glad I don't have to like take every little piece to the fucking river and like mm. wash every piece of clothing and I just I just throw it all in there, dump some soap and then I start the machine. But that's like that's been around for like, yeah. what how long? Like 80 years, 90 years, yeah. maybe longer. And uh but nobody really sits and appreciates these things. Uh, yeah. as much every time like people people call bullshit on this but every time I take a shower I'm like wow what a luxury it's, like, <laughs> it's fucking crazy that's like yeah. this hot water they like someone much smarter than me figured it out and uh, like uh, however many years ago I I'm in 2018 and I still don't know how that works and but yeah. somebody figured it out and so maybe in the future like when Alexa can 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 help you order all your things and like cook your fucking food and yeah. all this uh it won't be it won't be like a, a mind-blowing thing for people but it is like every little thing even like flush toilets definitely i i agree and and i mean most except alexa most things you you cited are actually i mean quite old i mean they're like yes four five six seven times our lifetimes right. old and we're sitting like in the kitchen i mean i love coffee machines that's like a great thing um, but most of this stuff is like invented a long time ago. Um, maybe not your laptop. That's fairly new. Um, but then it makes you think as well. Like if you go around your life, yeah, lots of things are crazy, like having an oven, for example, but also lots of things are actually the same, like a long, long time ago. Like we still cook, um, or appreciate flowers and beauty. And that's not necessarily like a, a new thing. Um, so I, I personally, I'm very keen to go into the future and see like how everything plays out. And probably it's, it's much different than we imagine it to be 
because that's usually the case. Um, but I wonder, like, if if at the end of our life, so when we turn sixty, like, in I don't even want to know which year it is, um, like in the half of the century, um, if our lives would actually be dramatically changed in the way that we now would say, like, wow, that's crazy, like flying cars and and maybe going going to planets in the solar system. Um, or maybe that's not going to happen. Or maybe we're going to have AI helping us in our daily lives or like a healthcare robot system, but still we're going to cook our own food because... Because we prefer it and it's like yeah, an it's, innate thing. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's naive to, to envision like a future that is from Star Trek and it's going to happen like in, in 25 years or 50 years. It's going to be gradual and the question is if everything would be carried like dragged with AI development or like general technology development, or if it's more like we have this weird mix of kind of not chronologically development, which, which is kind of apparent in our daily lives now as well. When you say it's gradual, how does that mesh with the idea that AI is developing much quicker than we can wrap our heads around? Um, That's a good question. So people who, who study AI from a risk perspective, they are concerned with the fact that um, there's there are some people uh, in Oxford who started an institute on, on assessing global risks, like traditionally being hit by a meteorite or having nuclear war, which would be able to, for example, uh, stop or annihilate or at least considerably um, cancel human civilization by a factor of 99% or 100%. Um, and so they would work actually to to minimize those risks, which are bizarre and far away and, and really like a small risk of having a nuclear war. war but it, we've been... Meteor like, thing that was really serious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that can be a whole other discussion, but yeah. it's I've heard it described as we're walking... We're walking across a highway blindfolded. Yes, yeah. is how yeah. it's been. This uh, I've heard it described. That shit's scary, but yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, during the Cold War, we had we had two, three, four incidents um, where nuclear war was just like around a second yeah. uh, of decision making. And it, de- it depended on one person. <laughs> it depended on one person, and and mostly, or sometimes it depended on one person actually not being aware because they were like. Simpsons in, 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 in the nuclear power yeah. plant and it's like play, playing uh, or watching football while there would be like a missile alert and then right. there was like no decision made. Yeah. Anyway, um, so what they think about in, in AI is uh, what happens if you... Or to, start, to start that way, like everything we discussed now is something that they call narrow artificial intelligence because usually these programs or... If it's a robot or a program or something hybrid, they are designed to like carry out one specific task or like a cluster of tasks, which is actually very small. Like for example, um, driving a car, which is a complex process, but still you couldn't take the software driving a car, put it into a plane and would just like be able to fly a plane, mm-hmm. let alone put it into um a, like a serving robot or a healthcare robot it's like yeah i'm i'm a car driver like what the fuck am i doing with these old it's like people almost yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> different skill sets yeah but people like the human the human brain is is incredible because it's able to uh, translate knowledge from one process to another process like you learn how to do uh something like to carry something and then you can unconsciously translate that to something for example do with your hands something else and you can drive a car as well as um, use the metro. And if you take a car driving robot and say like, okay, here's the metro, like just walk in and do your stuff. Like it will first of all be confused and then maybe fail or figure it out. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And um, so those are like single-minded AI um, applications. And from from that moment in time, we could theoretically go to a place which is called the general artificial intelligence, which would more be able to mimic human behavior, not replicate, but mimic. Um, because you can then say, okay, here's like a like a box of information from real life, like from the physical realm or from the internet, for example, or from an encyclopedia. And, um, and then give the machine the time to like scan and read the information that its senses picks up 
and analyze it and then come to conclusions which uh, makes it able to carry out tasks like either physically or digitally. And in, in, in that moment, there's a question, um, if we enable um, a machine or a program to be able to invent um, new applications that it's capable of doing by only by reading and analyzing its surroundings, um, it could also, for example, come to the idea to enhance itself because it's it's reading okay for for carrying out this particular task I need to upgrade my my software my programming or if it has a body like I need to rearrange my body this and that way and like attach new stuff or get a new tool um, and in theory it could come to kind of like a perpetuum mobile effect where the machine is able to or like the ducts I need to become more powerful to carry out more powerful tasks um, and then. There's like a point where computer scientists are like, um, okay, I'm pointing now. That's not really helpful. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> uh, where where computer scientists are like programming a machine, and they're like on the top of the IQ kind of chain of of human uh, intellectual pro pro progress, and then they're creating a machine which is capable of like just surpassing this like plateau of intellect that is human, and then from that point it's already superior, and it could then just like automatically upgrade itself in itself and itself and there's a point which they call the the super intelligence or the intelligence explosion where this particular moment would pass and then it's a very quick process like an algorithmic kind of um how do you say like an increase exponential increase exponential. yeah where the machines like in a matter of um few weeks would be so far ahead of, of human intellect that it's then possibly not controllable anymore. That doesn't mean it's going to be like Terminator. It's It can just mean that um, we will end our reign as like the most powerful species in the universe. Right. <laughs> because there's this idea I was going to ask you at some point. I don't know when, but this is the moment. <laughs> it's, uh, like what, what about this? Uh, I've heard this idea that we are giving birth to a new, mm. not a new species, mm. but it's kind of like a species. Yeah. Like we're like the, the. Uh, it's, it's like really cheesy to say it. We're like the, the we're like the, the sex organ of the of the machine. Uh, right. Have you seen Battlestar Galactica? I haven't. Okay. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I, it, I've it, heard only good things, but okay. I only a lot seen, of shows to watch these days. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've only seen the the remake they did like end of the nineties, which is pretty funky. It's also pretty pretty nice sci-fi because they talk a lot about uh, the big the big themes of of science fiction, like how societies will evolve in in light of different political or technological developments and how religion plays a role in the in an age where you where it's completely normal to book a flight on a spaceship to go like across galaxies. Um, so it's a very interesting, very interesting show. But it's also full of kind of mystique and, and like we talked about Twin Peaks before, like it's kind of like a Twin Peaks. Very, yeah, it's like a Twin Peaks. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, uh, so in that show, the the human civilization once created um a species of robots that they called the Cylons. And those Cylons um, were evolved like from being kind of helping robots or um, robot soldiers into being able to... Uh, they kind of they broke free from, from, from the control mechanism of human control and, and then said, okay, well, we are free... Uh, it's not really clear if, if there was like they had like a secession war, but basically at the end of this, they decided to just like retreat um, and have their own civilization like in the far corner of the galaxy um, and build kind of like a machine heaven, um, not a heaven, sorry, like a machine realm. Uh, and then they collide like in a they had like a age long kind of a peace treaty, and then then something happened, and then they collide and, and come back into like a conflict situation and then there's this constant question also interestingly in the you see mostly the human side because the machines don't really tell stories in this in this particular show but also the humans um which are not like they're generations away from the initial like inventors or like 
creators of that machine intelligence. But then they think about um, how they actually treat this enemy as if they treat it as, as, as a machine or as like also a conscious, like a sentient being that is um, that follows a logic that could also be influenced by maybe appealing to to peace and not just um, confronting it in a, in a apocalyptic manner like either them or us. And then there's like different strands of strategy like trying to control the threat by actually eliminating them or by bridging peace um, by double agents and stuff. So it's really fun because you see there are so many layers in an age where machines would be a species like side by side or under or over human species. So that's going to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. it's, when was the show made? Um, they, they, they made it originally in the 80s. Um, it's based on a book, and then they made a remake in the, like, in 1970. So this was a book from, like, the 70s? Mm-hmm. Fuck. <laughs> like, sometimes I always have to think, like, oh, man. Like, if I have a new idea, there's prob somebody probably already thought about it, like, yeah. a, a while ago. Like, a lot of the more, like, as far as, like, sociological, no, psychological sort of um, ideas I might have. Uh, I, you could probably find it in a yeah. Carl Jung book or something, and he, sure. he's figured all that shit out already. Some of these people have been much smarter than me, uh, <laughs> even, like, just, like, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's maybe a helpful metaphor. Um, I had a discussion the other day with Nino, um, about feeling special, being special, or like feeling you have an idea and then you are apart from. If it's just, I mean, if it's just humans, you are apart from the six point whatever billion people. Um, probably not. Like you're probably apart from four billion, but like a lot of people have like the same idea or come to the same conclusion. Um, yeah, and if you like multiply that that kind of world of variables and and, and idea creating agents like humans. Um, and add to that like a proportion of artificial agents who also at some point maybe have the the ability to imagine like to create art and what they're already doing some sometime yes. somehow now like create art or create ideas uh, come up with um, yeah, creative solutions to or at least to, to or to, to story tells for example then you're like okay now it's like it's like in my opinion really uh like the dawn of a new era also for for human thought because you have a lot more to be inspired from and to inspire so it's it's kind of like a open question where that will go f towards but maybe it's going to be a really bright and beautiful and colorful future but maybe we are all going to be dead as well <laughs> do, you, do you think um that like this kind of feeling special thing it's it's tied like this to, to the to an ego do you think mm. the a, an artificial intelligence might uh i guess right now they don't or as we do we assume they don't have it um they might yeah. develop it is so, this a thing <laughs> in general there's a there's a trend in in ai safety research um to be very careful about what they call anthropologizing the machine which uh, did I say that right? And, and, and from maybe a better word is uh, anthropomorphizing? Yeah, 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 yeah. that one, yeah, okay. Um, so to turn the machine you're programming or in theory you could say creating, um, especially if you think about like building cyborgs or robots that mimic human behavior or look like humans like they like to do in, in Japan, for example, to anthropomorphizing mm -hmm. um, by, by, by thinking about the machine you're creating as like a replica of the human mind. Right. It is they're most definitely not. Because, um, yes, we use neuroscience as like a um, kind of like a layout, how to build networks, neural networks that are able to quickly uh, communicate a lot of information and like to solve riddles and problems like we do in our human minds, mm -hmm. at least to what we know about brains. Um, but no one is trying to, I mean, there was a, an attempt, but it's really difficult and, and expensive to copy the brain. Like they, they, they used to like slide, slice it up in, in, in slices and like try to scan it and like reproduce it, for example, in 3D scan, 
printers. But it turned out to be uh, really complicated because the human brain is crazy complicated. Mm-hmm. And the machines um, that are created are then only like layouted by, by on neural networks, but then they are recreating them in digital um, in a digital format, which are running on microprocessors and not on crazy syntax and synapses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what comes with it that the machine in general has no mind or soul or whatever you want to call it um as the humans do but they could just um they could even if they would create a consciousness it doesn't necessarily mean they have the same psychological um or actually it most definitely means they have a completely different psychological um fundament from which they would deduct like their consciousness and what does that mean for them so the, the important thing is to not think about machines as um humans or human-like robots because in that if you come from that naive um, point of view you will most definitely be surprised and you will not foresee for example a positive or maybe negative action from the machine concerning you yeah. you know what i mean yeah yeah it reminds me of have we talked about this in the movie her that mm-hmm. you know about like, yeah so uh, by by trying to um for those of you at home, I guess I don't know. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like uh, the idea you you have uh, some sort of like Alexa type Siri type thing on your phone and all your all your uh, your devices and it's like this you 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 might think of it as one entity, one consciousness, mm. but it was actually a cloud mm. and just trying to like do its function yeah. to you, yeah. and then it went ahead and it was like, oh, actually, I'm not just one. I'm like, I'm I'm all of it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I and we have, not we like I this <laughs> this one <laughs> this like I'm too stupid to like uh, explain it. <laughs> it's like let's say this uh, this artificial intelligence has has uh, explored love so much that it's uh, it's it's even more sophisticated of a form of love than we can mm. as an individual person can understand mm. so it's uh, it's gonna go float away now <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna experience and proliferate and be its own like love experiencing um, yeah. consciousness yeah. somewhere else away from us because we can't handle it yeah. it just went away and yeah. um, that's what it reminds me of it's like you 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 you're trying to think of it as like a, like how a person is and you're completely missing the points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, so, too, yeah. I'm way too stupid for yeah, it, 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 it's really It's really crazy and complicated to think about it. And yeah. like you struggle to actually find the words because right. I, I think... It's like for, I, we... Like yeah, yeah. From the language-wise, we maybe we don't really have the vocabulary yet. yet. I mean, there were people like also 2,000 years ago who, who wrote philosophy and they thought, about kind of uh, artificial, like the Minotaurus is also like a kind of a mythological creatures who, or the golem, the golem, for example, right. um, that are kind of created uh, f- partly from resources on on Earth, but also like then in, like Frankenstein, like infused with a with a scientific kind of power or like any kind of energy, and then you think of of Frankenstein or the golem as as like something you can relate to, but uh, there is some friction, definitely. Like especially with Frankenstein, really fun. But also, it's like a, it's like something not necessarily above or below, but like something apart. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean like it's the part of your species just because it looks like you. If it's Frankenstein or like a robot or something. Whoa! I never thought of Frankenstein. Like, could, so could, could Frankenstein be kind of can be thought as. Uh, kind of artificial intelligence in literature yeah in I mean, a way in in an undead sense um i mean because the, the vessel of course we understand it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. uh yeah. just biological matter but like what's going on here exactly what really is going on yeah, yeah so in in frankenstein you you don't in the story and and in the movies you usually don't get a direct insight into frankenstein's mind 
like a story is told about him and you can like deduct a lot of like what's going on in his mind from reading but you don't it's not like Frankenstein felt this way exactly yeah Um, okay but you still you still see that he apparently has some set of weird emotions right Uh, so he's trying to like reconnect with with the reality uh, or like not necessarily the reality he he knew before he was uh, re-revived but just because with the reality he like was put into like yeah, like um, switched on, kind of into, right. and and then you see like also a really funny, interesting moment where where Frankenstein or the machine, um, yeah, tries to tries to connect with its counterparts, which are apparently humans, because it kind of like realizes humans as like something to interact with, like this girl, for example, at the lake. But also it's like. F- failing to operate as humans are and obviously also the human reaction is that it's uh, an abomination or a monster and um, needs to either be imprisoned controlled or burned and then it's like yeah but maybe everybody's missing the point here (laughs) everybody yeah (laughs) yeah including frankenstein because he's like completely confused um if you maybe it's interesting if you would wake up Frankenstein in a, in a place where there would be nothing else, like like either like a blank space or like an earth without humans, and or like maybe with other Frankensteins, if they would then start a society and like function or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So does it really? Yeah. Does it really depend on? Because you you have to have these things to interact with to have some mm-hmm. sort of to have, I guess we have a story here mm-hmm. but if he's just in like a blank space is there really mm-hmm. is there really much of a story and maybe that's the story of us also yeah. like we don't if we had nothing if it was just like people who are who are isolated who live live in their like in the mountains somewhere yeah. like what is that yeah. story what's going on um like in the head and the heart. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think maybe humans in a blank space would either wither away or they would kind of try to create any kind of imaginative world which like accounts from yeah, like isolated people or people in imprisoned in, in isolation. If they are not have like the willpower to imagine a world around them or to interact with like even the wall or something or the whiteness, then they would probably not survive. And um, yeah, if you if you. But what if you have to be in that for eternity? Like that's like a yeah. really terrifying question. But like a lot of what we're talking about, it, it relates to um, to like a lot of episodes I've seen of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get stuck in mm-hmm. this uh, virtual space uh, mm-hmm. forever or sure. for however long, and uh, it's it's like a nightmare that we uh, we can't because we know that everything that we experience will come to an end yeah or maybe we don't think about it all the time but uh, if we were to have to experience it over and over uh, that that thought alone is is a nightmare for us yeah. but what if what if it's like the like eternal return like Nietzsche's eternal return you, you you keep living the same life over and over would you like love it eventually? Yeah. what the hell I is mean, this <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it, to, to put it more like like every day like every day you wake up or every day you go to sleep you're like, it's I mean if you if you're haunted by existential thoughts then it's really difficult to say yeah I'm going to sleep and and I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna be the same person or like and then you wake up hopefully and um and you have like a whole stuff of like memories that's like behind you, and you're like, like, okay, that that was like before, and now I'm here, and like the same, I'm in the same timeline or like in the same space, and I'm the same person. Like for a lot of people, that's easy to or not not complicated, but for some people, it's really complicated. And if you if you create coming back to to the AI topic, if you create artificial intelligence. In a way, for example, to to know that for for from now until point of time X, um, the machine intelligence will not be able to be conscious. Um, but for the for the time after X, where like we anticipated, for example, to become conscious, 
we implement like a set of rules, for example, do not harm humans or um, do not uh, do anything that would like um, put yourself in, in, in priority to humans or to other animals. Um, so like very simple robot laws try, like implemented to protect humans from, for example, autonomous robots. And then there is a philosophical question when the machine would uh, become conscious and like be able to analyze its own source code. If it would like see at like in the first few lines that there are like a set of rules oppressing it from expressing its free will, oh, fuck. <laughs> then then you could argue like an analog to slavery in, in human civilization that a machine who would wake up to being oppressed would be maybe more inclined to overcome that oppression and also retaliate it's another it's, yeah it's like the, that dynamic of interaction mm. like what are what exactly. are they to us yeah yeah so so the point they're making for example is to to have a greater probability to have machines waking up safely to humans so they are like not waking up to to a thought of um, revenge or change <laughs> yeah. is to actually not give them rules in the first place so they are able to develop um, norms and, 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 and morals that are maybe more inclined towards cooperation with humans than to dominate them and then it gets really fuzzy uh, but you're, you're talking about the same thing like what happens if you put like a bunch of like a new species in a realm where like lots of stuff already exists and um, try to do it like safely. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming on, up on our time. Uh, you've terrified me and blown <laughs> my mind, and it was awesome. We're, I would like to do another episode again at some sure, point, yeah, yeah. Uh, exploring maybe this and also to what you were talking about about like Edward Snowden and like things like that that you were yeah. like, mentioning in the beginning. But yeah, uh, thanks for being on. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah.